Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday the 5th of December, another fairly damp start to the day here in TW11 and there will be a bit of weather watching during the course of this week. If last week we were contending with frost here in the UK, this week we are contending with wet and that could threaten important fixtures towards the back end of the week. Obviously we're keeping our fingers crossed for Sandown on Saturday and Huntingdon on Sunday. You'll be hearing about both of those meetings in different ways during the course of this show, particularly from trainer Alan King, who is humming and hiring whether to run his stable star Edward Stone in the Tingle Creek against his Cheltenham conqueror John Bond Saturday or go up in distance for the Peterborough Chase two and a half miles on Sunday. That is all to come as I welcome into the show uh, Lydia Hislop. Lydia Hislop, Broadcaster of the Year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Nick Luck, uh, reporter of the year. Congratulations. Well, well, thanks. I mean, this mutual back scratching can only go on so long. Mm, let's um, end it here. But well, we can end it here. I would, however, point out to you that um, I do have your trophy, which I will I will release back to you for a for a small fee at any time. Yeah, I managed to get it safely home last night. So let, let's let's get this straight. You've kidnapped my trophy. I well. You because you were not able to be at the Horse Race Rise and Photographers Derby Awards to pick up your trophy. Ben Wong, our good friend and producer at Racing TV, took the trophies for you. Mm-hmm. Ben Wong and I decided that uh, we needed just one extra drink after the ceremony itself, so we I didn't want to. That. We I didn't. Mean, there's, want... not much, there's not much flowing, is there, during the course of the the ceremony itself? Exactly. So we we decided to take um, send the trophies home. Yes, and, and as I understand it, Laura, your wife was delighted by that, wasn't she? Um, she's she's taken to Instagram, <laughs> as, she, as she often does in a in a very amusing manner, and usually to your detriment. Um, to to relay the events of uh, of last night, would you like to hear what she said? I would, please. Hang on a minute. I will just um I will just pull it up for you here. She said, Luck Laura mentioned you in a post. It goes without saying that I'm immensely proud of my husband at Nick Luck underscore TV for winning his 11th HWPA Derby Award. I was going to tell him that uh, when the Uber pulled up outside our door, only it wasn't him in the car, just the trophy taking itself home in a cab. I've tucked it up in bed with a pint of water and a couple of anodin. No idea where husband is. He'll have to fend for himself. <laughs> Did you get a pint of water and a couple of anodin yourself? Can you remember? I did, but it was the, only the second most ingenious use of an Uber uh, of yesterday evening. Um, the first was uh, to ask the Uber driver to drive me 
um, five miles past my house to the Feltham Hanworth McDonald's so I could uh, get a Big Mac and six chicken nuggets at about five past midnight. Well, you did better than Tom Stanley, who I understand managed to drop his lamb curry on the way home. Excellent. Um, Shall we move on? Yes. Let's do that. (laughs) Uh, and we'll talk about premierization. <laughs> I'm talking about the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> right. Uh, back in November, you, Lydia Hislop, wrote the following in your Sporting Life column, 15th of November. It is also perhaps not surprising that so little has been heard about the other work streams of the industry strategy when the resource allocated to these projects, the actual people who must carry out that work, also have their day jobs to get on with. The sport needs to address this mismatch between its vaunting ambitions and the evidence-based blueprint and money needed to realise them via promotion. I can only imagine the rising sense of urgency, even panic, as the 1st of January approaches. Something is going to have to feel and look different from day one, even if we accept, as is surely now inevitable with time running out, that it is likely to be relatively minimal. A soft launch, they'll call it. Right, What's happened and what's been all over the papers today? Well, um, Lee Mosshead has gone into this subject much further for the Racing Post. and He's spoken to a number of people, including uh, Rod Street, who's the chief executive of Great British Racing, which is essentially the marketing arm of British horse racing. And they are the ones that have been given no extra budget in order to be able to deliver deliver the premierisation of racing from January the 1st, which is now about three weeks away, uh, less than three weeks away. Um and so it's it's in conversation with Rod. He's also uh, had a conversation with the prominent racehorse owner, Jed Shields, um, who coined the famous strap line. And this is one for the, the British audience. It does exactly what it says on the tin when employed as Ron Seals marketing director. So he knows what he's talking about. And I must say the, the quotes that he has given have been, I think, are completely spot on. Maybe we can go into those in a moment. Nick Smith from Ascot is also quoted. And Charlie Parker, um, who is the chair of the Racehorse Owners Association, is in there, as well as uh, Chief Executive Alan Del Monte. And essentially, the problem is uh, the... Everything seems to have been done backwards, uh, as I've actually, as I also said in that Sporting Life article, that they've come to the, they've come to the strategy and the rollout of, of what they're going to do without actually analysing what it is they should be doing first. They've very much, in many different senses, put the cart before the horse. I mean, there is a much more pressing crisis, which is the horse and their availability to the sport in numbers at the level at which British racing would like to remain but more widely in terms of what they see as their strategy everything seems to seems to have been done backwards and what little has been changed for uh, 2024 um, looks like it's going to remain little certainly in the short term so this is causing quite a few race courses particularly some of the smaller race courses and independent race courses have put their hands up for premier race days uh, quite a bit of angst uh, Craig Stadden was quoted in Lee Mottershead's piece. Craig is the CEO of Plumpton Racecourse. And I've had a chat with Craig as well. And I, I sort of began by asking him why Plumpton put its hand up for a premier race day and what it said about the ethos, ethos of the track itself. Yeah, Nick, as, as you say, you, you know, we want to we want to move Plumpton forward. So we have an opportunity or there has been an opportunity for us to, you know, go and have a look at Premier Racing. And we're really proud to be able to take two Premier Race meetings in 2024 on the 7th of January and the 31st of March. Um, our ethos has always been how can we actually move Plumpton forward? You know, it's a grassroots race course, but we like to be able to punch above our weight. So we're really, really it, what's important is getting the prize money, putting great prize money in to be able to track great 
great trainers, not just local, but also regional and hopefully national as well. And that's certainly proved the point um, over the last couple of years. So we are hoping in 2024 with our first premier race meeting on the 7th, which is £90,000 more than last year. So we're nearly touching that £200,000 mark, should actually hit all the right signals. Um, and we are, you know, we're hopeful that, you know, people are going to see this. But the one area that we probably need some help is getting it out there for people to recognise what this means. You know, 200, nearly £200,000 worth of prize money is significant for a small race course. It really, really is. So it is that support and that help that we are probably looking for. That At the moment, we're kind of behind that eight ball. We really are, whereby that dial isn't really moving as, as quickly as we want it to. So we'll come to the promotion in a moment and what deficiencies there might be there and what the industry can do to help you. But I, I want you to give everybody an understanding of just how much this is costing Plumpton. Just try and try and um, put some meat on the bones as regards your bottom line here. It, it, look, it's difficult to actually go into all of that, I'll be honest with you, Nick, and I, I don't really want to. Apart from the fact that as, as a board, we are very much about wanting to invest in Plumpton, and that's through prize money. So, you know, investing as much as we possibly can, and, and we like to think that actually Plumpton is, is actually right up there with other race courses, certainly right up there, probably in excess of the smaller race courses. So that probably doesn't answer your question as well as you want it, but I don't want to go into the ins and outs of, you know, how much we're putting in, etc. Okay, so I understand that you're not going to go through your balance sheet, but would it be fair to say that your your prize money investment uh, out of your out of your own coffers is is necessarily has to be more significant if it's a premier fixture? Correct, correct. Yeah. So you know, as 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 a result, yeah, we're putting more money into premier fixtures, hundred yeah. percent. But we've got to make it work. You know, we've got to make it work throughout the year. So you know, there's been changes in rate cards, etc. So we we try to maximise as much as we possibly can, and we saw the opportunity through premier racing for us to do that. Okay, right. So how is the sport not helping you the way it should? Well, you know, this is just me looking from from, from an outsider in because I've I've only just recently, you know, picked up the CEO role of Plumpton back in March. Um, You know, Premier Racing is a a great concept, it's a positive concept, but actually it, it needs to dovetail into actually supporting to be able to go and communicate it and promote it in a positive way. So we know we've got a premier fixture, um, but what we're not seeing is how is that promoted? How is that basically really pushed out into the ether so actually people get an understanding what premier racing really means um, and you know how the benefit to the sport it will be, but also to the general public. You know, them actually coming through the door, um, being able to watch really great racing. Um, that's the bit I would say at the moment, which we are behind the eight ball. That's the bit whereby we're struggling to actually say, OK, especially for the first quarter, you know, what does it look like? And I don't think we know what it looks like at the moment. There's discussion, but actually there hasn't really been that rollout. We are starting to have conversations now, but... I would say they are probably, you know, as I say, they're a little bit too late, a little bit too late for quarter one, definitely. Um, who are you having those conversations with? Um, so so well, we're, talk, we're talking to the BHA, um, but also talking to um, GBR, um, Rod Street. Um, funny enough, I've got a meeting today um, with regards to... Um, um, with John Barnett as well, who's picked that mantle up from from Rod. Um, so, you know, there is some dialogue happening. It's just that it's a little bit later than we thought it would be because we raced on the 7th of January. Mm. And, you know, that literally is three weeks away. So am I, um, am I, am I right in thinking the crux of your concern is that your, your race going public don't have any concept of what premierization is and therefore they don't have any reason to go racing over and above the reasons that they normally would have, that there's no real distinction to the public. 
I think, I think that's fair, Nick. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. We're having to do a lot of the actual publicity ourselves. So just give you some examples. Um, we've actually gone out to um, um, the all, all of the trainers in the UK via Weatherbees, but also all the trainers in, in Ireland actually promoting our premier fixture. So that's the first thing we've done. The second thing is we're having to push Premier Racing um, through our customer base. Um, we are starting to work with some of our sponsors as well. And to be fair, we're working with Sky Racing, ATR, who are going to be supportive because we're the first um, um, you know, race meeting on ATR or Premier Race meeting on ATR in 2024. So we're starting to work through that. But what we haven't got is that support from you know, the industry as such. Um, and I say we're behind the eight ball on that. Were you promised that in the in the first instance? Because I remember when I was interviewing Richard Wayman about this way back when, and he yeah. talked about broadcast innovation, and he also talked about a a, a cross sport marketing initiative. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it, it's been it's been discussed. You know, I, I first um, went on to a, um, a meeting at Windsor back in April, I think it was this year, and it was discussed how important the customer journey, the customer experience, and being able to market it. Uh, I just think maybe it's just lost. They just lost sight of of that. You know, the focus has been on getting the plan ready or the program book ready for 2024. And that took a little bit longer, as you know, than than usual. Um, and then I just think there's a little bit of element of losing sight of the marketing, the promotion of it. Um, and kind of that's where we are at the moment. Okay, well, uh, we're going to we're gonna help you out as much as we can and, and try and um, put Plumpton's name in lights in the lead up to, to your first Premier fixture. Craig, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for talking to me. And hopefully... Uh, the industry will now start getting the ball rolling. That's brilliant. Really appreciate your time, Nick. Thanks very much. That was Craig Stadden, Chief Executive of Plumpton Racecourse, who have got ambitions, uh, which is always really heartening in a in a racecourse. Um, but clearly he has concerns, Lydia, that they're not getting the support to match that ambition. Ambition that they've been asked to show by the industry. And I think maybe that's the salient point. Yes, I agree with him. I mean, I think that um, it is right that he he needs to know how it's going to be promoted. Um, and he's right to point out that it hasn't properly been uh, conveyed how the sport is going to benefit and how the general public will understand premiumisation as being different to what they might normally get if they rocked up to Plumpton on the 7th of January. I mean, I, I would make the point that there's a bit where about transparency, isn't there? I mean, horsemen listening to that interview will be thinking, well, they don't really want to reveal how much extra money they've put in and is it net more prize money or have has the same amount of money just been shuffled around? I mean, Craig made reference to the changes in the rate cards uh, for the non-premier meetings throughout the rest of the year. However, as you say, they've been asked to step up for premierisation. They've almost doubled the amount of prize money available on this 7th of January slot. And unfortunately, they are going to be caught up with what seems to be just a lack of planning. You know, they are less than three weeks away from, from their their fixture. And there is no way of, at the moment, they do not know how that uh, fixture is going to be identified as a premier fixture and how things are going to be different at all. Now, I, I certainly think, I mean, Alan Del Monte, he is the chief executive of the Levy Board, makes a point in, in, in Lee Mottishead's piece that uh, there would have been money available, um, but 
that the Labour Board made the point to the sport in October that if they were going to be asked for money for, for promotion, then they would need to be given some kind of lead into that and not said, oh, by the way, can we have this tomorrow, please? Um, and so as a result of that, the fallback option seems to be that the sport itself will carry the money in the short term and perhaps go to the Levy Board in the long term. Um, I would under- I understand that um, some support is needed and certainly some guidance and, and strategic direction is needed in terms of how to pre- prevent present premier racing but i would question whether um beyond that um the sport central funding should be used to market race courses own fixtures lydia at the top you mentioned jed shields who's been quite a prominent figure as a, an owner's spokesperson I, doing quite a bit of work with john hughes owners for owners uh, what's he said or what did you like about what he said well it just it just made you know perfect sense to me it was it was kind of what I was outlining as well in in November. He said, marketing is the process that matches the capability of the organisation, which in this case is racing, with the needs of end users. Marketing is like an iceberg. What you see above the line is advertising and promotion, but most of the work that really matters takes place below the line. This is the work that should have driven racing strategy. Instead, it's been about race courses and fixtures without consideration of the end user. A marketing team should play a key role in the development of any strategic plan. Step one should be the gathering of data. Step two is analyse the data. Step three is develop a deep understanding of the market and end user segments. Step four is set objectives. Step five is decide on a strategy. Step six is develop a plan. Step seven is to establish metrics to measure progress. Racing has jumped to step five with no evidence that steps one to three have been undertaken. I I think that that sums up exactly where we are. We've had the cart put before the horses in terms of deciding what what, what it all looks like without actually asking the customer what it is they might might want. And I will stress again, unless we have the horses to deliver this, and at the moment we don't, and that crisis is only going to deepen, and this is the problem that it's going to take 10, 15, 20 years to address. And at the moment, we can't even do these basic small things like getting premiarisation to look slightly different as of January the 1st. I do fear for the future of our sport and I do think that these bigger questions need to be tackled and they need to be tackled in the right order. Right, on to the race course then and what's happening this weekend. Well, we know it's going to be the Tingle Creek Chase at Sandown Park. We hope it's going to be the Peterborough Chase at Huntingdon, weather permitting. Where will Alan King's stable star Edward Stone go? This is what he had to say to me a few moments ago. Look, he's, he's due to be scoped today. He'll work tomorrow. As we stand at the moment, I mean, Huntingdon Home Street is waterlogged. Um, I mean, I know it can recede quite quickly, but the forecast's not looking terrific. So I really don't know. We, we, we'll work tomorrow, see how everything's gone, and then obviously have to make a decision Thursday morning. Did that comeback run at Cheltenham tell you anything you didn't know already, or did it did it leave you with any kind of a quandary? <laughs> No, I think it, 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 the one thing it did do, it put the Queen Mother to bed, you know, the disappointing run in March, which we hoped it would. Um, so I, on the whole, I was very happy with him. He jumped great. Um, I mean, he had a good blow, so he'll definitely come on plenty for that. I mean, no doubt John Bourne will as well. But um, no, it was just, it was. I just wanted to see a proper run and we got that. Uh, he, there was quite a, a stylish move he made, I thought, uh, sort of two thirds of the way through the race. And I thought, ah. This horse isn't slowing down as he's getting older at all and and wondered if John Bond wasn't around, whether you'd just even be having this conversation at all. Oh, probably not. If John Bond wasn't around, I think it would be absolutely certainty we could take Good Creek. But um, John, John Bond looks a proper proper horse. Um, 
but we'll look, we'll see. And, and I mean, Cheltenham, was, as well as coming on for the run, I mean, it was it was pretty dead all ground, which he's never quite been at his best on. And I'm sure it's not going to be any better at the weekend looking at the forecast. But um, uh, really, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. And are you full of runners this weekend or not? I think it's really all up in there with, with, with weather, you know. Um, I've got plenty entered at Huntingdon. But with the, the the limited box numbers, stable numbers, that, that could, a few of those could be balloted out, you know. Ah, so that that's still an issue. I didn't realise that the, the construction was still going to, on. Yeah, so um, I think it, we've gone from about fifty something to I think it's eighty four boxes now. But there's one hundred and sixty entries, so um, there's going to be a lot of people disappointed. I would have thought. Mm. Yeah, that's not ideal, is it? It's not great. No, it's not great, especially when you've got you know you've got a. You've got a listed bumper, which I'd love to run one or two in. And, um, you know, no doubt that it won't be a maximum size. I'm just checking on it now. Hang on. What did we say, Huntingdon? Um, 163 entries for 64 boxes. Yikes. They could divide. So eight races. I mean, you're not going to get, you're not going to have many in each race. No, no. I can't, I can't quite understand to whose benefit that is, really. Well, it's not helpful to anyone, really. But look, I think I think the weather's delayed the building work, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's look, it's it is what it is, but it's um, it's pretty frustrating. All right, that was Alan King. This is Lydia Hislop, and the most noteworthy point about that interview um, was not Edward Stone. It was the stabling situation at Huntingdon. Yeah, yeah, which which has been a, a problem because they're they're basically being rebuilt. Um, but they got behind the time, and that means that there's only capacity for so many horses, which is producing a rather unhealthy mix of balloting out and small fields. Yeah, and um, that's clearly you know not not a good look, is it? And have you heard anything from Jocular Race courses about this? I have, I have. In fairness, they got straight back to me because I thought, well, I better get to them after the Alan King interview, and they said as follows um they say all the work on the stables has been completed in time for this weekend meaning they're back to full capacity along with refurbishment to the saddling boxes and new rubberized horse walks new flood protection in the stabling area is also in place work is ongoing in the horse box unloading area although much of this should be completed by sunday um james wilcox the general manager there i'm told is very grateful to trainers for their patience while the work has been carried out and the team there uh, are looking forward to putting the new facilities to use this weekend so it sounds as though they're back on track but i'm wondering wondering whether that has not necessarily been reflected in the um information that's being put out on the weatherby's racing admin site well, well, it does sound like there's some there's some form of of dis- disconnect. Either the communication is uh, incorrect, or else that chocolate Brace was being overly optimistic. And given that they have given you details there, you'd have to feel at this stage that it's the communication. So I think that Huntington, JCR, and the British Horse Racing Authority need to get onto that to the training population as quickly as possible, so that they can make an informed decision. Uh, that is good news, and all of those improvements to um, the stabling area are obviously extremely welcome and it's great to hear that uh, Huntingdon and Chocolate Brace courses are investing in their facilities in that kind of way and clearly Huntingdon does have to have flood defences because we see year on year, I mean Alan mentioned it in his in his interview with you the, the waterlogging to the track, they are very prone and vulnerable to that so anything that can be done in terms of the infrastructure in order to, to help them uh, ward against that has got to be a positive thing so well done with that investment. 
Guess what Asheen Murphy's doing this week? Uh, well, you're giving me a sneak preview. Um, so I, I know that he's riding over hurdles at, Winca- at Wincanton. And um, I, it's not it's not the biggest surprise, is it, really, when you think... I mean, it, it, Jamie Spencer's done it, Johnny Murta's done it. Asheen Murphy, we've already seen him being very good as a, a, as a show jumper. And he did a lot of that whilst he was banned last year. So um, it'll be very interesting, though, and it'll add an extra bit of spice to Wincanton's card on Thursday. It will. He said to the Jockey Club, my uncle is Jim Cullity, who rode winners of the Cheltenham Gold Cup Grand National and Irish Grand National and trained a winner of the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I work within my teens, so jump racing has always been part of my life. It's always been a burning ambition to ride in a jump race. I took out a license earlier in the year. At one stage, it looked like I might get a ride in the champion bumper at the Cheltenham Festival. You can bet your bottom dollar it'll be looking for one this time. The programme of flat racing means it's unlikely I'll be able to ride over hurdles often, but this opportunity arose as I know the trainer and owner of Let's Do This well, it is only a fairly low-grade handicap hurdle on Thursday. It seemed a good place to start. I've been schooling horses to prepare, though have not yet ridden. Let's do this. Uh, Jim might be coming along to see me ride, and my friend Dennis O'Regan, who recently retired, might be travelling over from Ireland. So there you go. Yeah, Tom Queeley, Richard Hughes, Jamie Spencer, Johnny Mercer, and of course, Lester, Lester Pig at the most celebrated example. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this a very appropriate name as well. And Dennis used to used to ride Let's Do This in the past as well. So it's good to see uh, to hear that he might be coming over. Um, and I wish him the best of luck. I mean, the, the, the key always is when it, when you come to the very top level, say at the Cheltenham Festival, it does mean that, you know, flat jockeys are competing with a lot of lead in their saddle, aren't they? And, you know, there is a, there is um, that that's when you have to, as a as an observer, as a punter, make that kind of calculation as to as to, uh, you know, where you would where you would decide with in that debate okay that is not the most interesting piece of jockey news today um davy russell is <laughs> is going to be on dancing with the stars i mean in, in <laughs> I, I like your are you gonna are you gonna play this this interview you give me a sneak preview because the first question is exactly the first question i would have asked uh, okay right here you go is this is this actually for real it is actually for real, uh, Nick, and I don't know what kind of a moment of madness came over me to agree to this, but um, I did it anyway, and I'm going to give it a rattle. So, um, yeah. All right, so so you were presumably approached by the producers. How long did you take to, to say yes? Well, you see, they, they approached me last summer when everything was rosy in the garden and the weather was gorgeous and, you know, there wasn't much on and I was just after retiring and and now I'm it's in the middle of winter and we're in the thick of things and um, there's loads of things on. <laughs> so um, it, it, it took me, yeah, it took a bit of persuading, but it seemed like a good idea at the time, but uh, there's a lot more uh, involved in it than I first imagined. Yes. So, are you in training already? Yeah, we've started. Just barely started. Uh, um, um, you know, getting to do a couple of things. Um, just this week. Now we're just going to be getting into it. Mm. So, I'm this morning. I met my. Um, <coughs> I met my uh, dancing partner. And um, so, all them things are going to have to um, come out now in the next couple of days. Okay, so we're not allowed to know who your dance partner is yet, no? No, that would be breaking code of conduct. Okay, all right, but so we just we have to just wait and see. Um, um, how is your dancing? Very poor. Uh, like I think I'm brilliant. 
um, when I'm at a wedding or whether when I'm in the 21 club in Cheltenham or above in uh, Punchstown at the festival, I think I'm actually an outstanding dancer. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not sure how that will relate to uh, the actual dance floor itself, um, the professional dance floor. So I'm very, very nervous. Well, the only thing I would say in your favour is that you don't drink. So there's a, po- there's a possibility you're not that bad because, I mean, I think I'm good, but then that's after I've had a drink and I'm absolutely, and I know reality tells me that I'm absolutely terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so nervous about making absolute idiot of myself. But look, it'll all be for fun, and we'll enjoy ourselves, and the kids will have fun, and things like that. So, mm. more of a ballroom man or a Latin man? Do you think? I'm more of a kind of a freestyle, <laughs> more of a freestyle, my style kind of a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only thing that upsets me is that I'm not going to be able to watch this because I don't. Is there any way we can get to see it in England or not? Yeah, I'm sure you can get that RTE player. It'll be available on RTE player, and it's very popular. And um, I'm sure there's uh, there are plenty of ways of getting to see it. I think RTE player will be able to see it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And and the. the- Sure, I'm sure plenty of people are going to tell you what kind of an idiot I look like on it. So, you know, I wouldn't be, I don't think you'll have to wait too long to see it. Didn't Nina Carberry win? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. So, I have big boots to fill. Excellent. Well, I can't wait. Um, thanks so much for chatting to me and all the best. Thanks, right here. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, this is going to be great, isn't it, Lydia? It's going to be fantastic. I can confirm to you, I've already checked, you can get RTE player over here. So absolutely, uh, I'm going to be glued. Absolutely brilliant. Nina Carberry, of course, a rare example of a horse racing celebrity who's succeeded in one of these. I mean, it's not a rare example of a sports person, though, who's succeeded in this kind of thing, isn't it? Because they will bring a level of, you know, application, focus, self-discipline and fitness all of which are you know transferable skills so I can understand why sports people in general and why Nina Carberry specifically might have been successful in this area but let's hope that um, Davy Russell's assessment of his own dancing is is the correct one. All right, day one of the Tattersall's December Mayor's Sale yesterday and of course it featured the first Scepter session and reporting for us there Charlotte Greenway. Yeah, so a busy day yesterday at the Tassels Mare Sale and one of the most interesting lots went the way of Big Red Farm in Japan and that was lot 1549 consigned by Manister House Stud and Luke Barry joins me now. Luke, it's a bit of a fascinating story behind this one, just tell us a bit more. Yeah, no, it's a great story. We, uh, we were here in July, at the July sale and Colm Sharkey I asked him to try and find a filly that we could uh, maybe put in training and have a bit of fun with and see where it led us. And um, he found a filly under Jamie Railton here in July. And that team were extremely helpful in giving us the information that we needed to give us a bit of confidence to try and buy her. So uh, the hammer fell for 21,000 and um, we entrusted Harry Eustace with the filly. Her name was Run Zarek Run. She was unraced at the time. and. Um, he ran her four times from September through to a week before the sale. She uh, ran very well first time out. She was third with some very good form. And then she won her maiden by 11 lengths on, in a canter in red car. We took her to France for a listed race because she qualified for French premiums. She was quite unfortunate in her first run. Um, it just the race did not was not run to suit her. And she got gobbled up a bit by uh, the pack. But uh, Harry very bravely left her in France and ran her seven days later 
and she was second in a 17-runner listed race in Fontainebleau behind a lovely horse of Mr. Haggis's. And I think uh, Harry and his team have done a marvellous job. And was it the plan then always to flip her this quickly or was it just what she'd been showing Harry at home? You thought, God, we should give this one an entry in the sale. So we, we, I bought her in partnership with a good friend of mine called Paul Leonard, uh, who's a great guy from Limerick. A lot of people around the sales grounds know him and we'd be very open-minded. Um, we have a stud farm at home, so I, in the back of my mind, would have always been very happy to bring her home. She was a beautiful moving filly, um, but we saw there was an opportunity to ring a bell in the sales ring and uh, she made 180,000 last night to Big Red Farm and I suppose it's a great story. It rarely happens that easy. It's just one of those things you try, try and sometimes it works. And uh, beforehand, I'm sure she was very popular, plenty of people coming to view her. Did you have an inkling that the, the Japanese might play? Um, no, uh, there was plenty of interest in her, but I didn't, I hadn't then figured out, I have to say, and I'm just delighted they turned up. James Kyo, uh, Billy Jackson stops. There was a lot, Al Donald. There was a lot of people who followed her in, but um, she ended up making, you know, uh, she made ended up making her price, and everybody has to value them. The the other there's two other people who deserve a very special mention in this story, and that's Julia, who rode her out every day, but also uh, Laura. And Julia and Laura took her to France, stayed there for eight days, nine days with the filly in Chanty, ran her twice. Harry didn't go. I didn't go. Paul didn't go. And they did a marvellous job and um, Julia's been riding her all year and she was here to watch her sell yesterday, which, yesterday evening, which was very sweet of her to come up and say goodbye to her. And um, those two girls are going to get a big thank you because they, uh, they uh, well, they created part of the dream. Yeah, they very much deserve it. And just looking ahead today, you've got two going through the ring, one in the set to session. So the sort of good day could continue. Yeah, hopefully we've uh, a, f a lovely big mare um, by Star Spangled Banner and she's a winner. But uh, she is a half sister to Alcohol Free and she's in full to No Name Ever. And she's carrying a filly, which means she's carrying a three part sister to Alcohol Free. And she sells in the middle of the set to session. She's lot 1814. And, um, yeah, we're hopeful. We'll just see how it goes. I'm sure she's been very popular. Well, good luck, Luke, and thanks for talking to me. Thanks a million. Right, I'll be off to Hong Kong a little bit later on today. Leading the advance party was Maddie Plale, and Maddie has been catching up with one of the riders in the International Jockeys Challenge, British-born, Australian-based, Group 1 winning jockey Rachel King. And she began by asking Rachel how much she was looking forward to competing against some of the best in the world at Happy Valley. So joined by Rachel King, who's going to take part in her first IJC at Happy Valley on Wednesday evening. Um, Rachel, how are you feeling ahead of a really unique event? You've taken part in some of these jockeys' challenges before. How do you think Happy Valley is going to compare? Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's probably one of the most challenging uh, racetracks to ride around and, and sort of different, but um, looking forward to the to the challenge and it's great to sort of be be here and be riding against some of the best in the world yeah and I'm fascinated by your backstory because obviously you are from Britain um, and also you've had a, a, a range of different roles the likes of um, Clive Cox and I believe you also rode for Alan King for a little bit as well um, before making the move out to Australia just reflecting on that now um, tell me about how that went from your perspective and why you you chose to take a big leap um, yeah, we got like you said, I did have a few sort of changes of career path, I guess, and 
experimented a few different avenues. Um, just, just remind us what they were. Yeah, so I, I started, I actually had my first ever ride in an Irish point-to-point um, wow. for, for Adrian Maguire, so that was a little bit different. Uh, I rode there first and then came back to England, um, continued to ride over jumps while working for Alan King and managed to persuade him to let me ride over jumps for him, which he said he wouldn't do, but he did. Uh, so I was very, very honoured and very lucky to have an incredible experience there. Um, and then I think it was... I tried to, tried to be an apprentice for about six months. I only had one winner. Didn't, didn't go down so well. Um, Why do you think that was? I just sort of couldn't get going. Couldn't get, in, couldn't get any roll on. I guess it was... I probably did it at the wrong time of year as well. It was sort of coming into winter, um, all weather season. Just, just struggled. And then I reverted back to being an amateur and actually was a stud secretary for a little bit um, at Hillwood Stud. And then I was a racing secretary for Clive Cox. So while, while continuing to ride as an amateur, um, and then, yeah, I, I just I was actually going to have another go at being an apprentice in England. And, again, it was sort of coming into winter and I didn't want to make that mistake again. So I thought I would come to Australia. I was only coming for two months uh, just to learn a bit more and sort of further my career and, and with the plan to return to England to, you know, and be more prepared and hopefully have another go at being an apprentice but uh, when I came I just saw the opportunities and thought why not and gave it a go here and that was 10 years ago yeah could you have ever envisaged things would go how they have no definitely not um like I knew there would be a lot more opportunities here there's sort of the racing or in Australia the racing's just set up a bit differently a uh, lot more female jockeys um and yeah just just like I said more opportunities more racing so I was hopeful but it's definitely exceeded expectations yeah and now do you look back at British racing Irish racing do you still follow it uh I do a little bit not as much to be honest and look it's definitely come a long way since I left like it has been 10 years and people like Holly have, have done a fantastic job to sort of break through for the girls um I still feel like they have got a long way to go there you know there's a lot there's a lot of improvement that can happen but it's definitely heading in the right direction what sort of improvement do you think just sort of profile and and do you still think there's sort of prejudices involved? Oh, probably not as much so anymore. Um, it definitely was when I was there, but it, it has, like I said, it has got better. Um, I just think, you know, the, the you look at the volume of female jockeys, um, apprentices that sign up every year in Australia, and it would be great if you could see that same number come to England. I'm not quite sure how they do it, um, but it would just be nice to see it. Yeah. And you wouldn't be tempted to make a move back at all at any stage? No. <laughs> uh, England's always be, will always be my home, but um, Australia's where my, my career is. And, yeah, I, I wouldn't, unfortunately, especially with uh, sort of the state of prize money and things like that, there just it wouldn't be any reason for me to go back. Yeah. Does that, in a way, spell warning signs, do you think, for racing in Britain that someone like you, you know, young, talented rider is not attracted to, to being based there anymore. Yeah, look, I, I guess so. Um, look, like I said before, I think it is progressing as far as I can see. Like I said, I don't, I don't follow it as much, um, as sort of as closely as probably as I did, but there's definitely, there's definitely improvements that can be made to hopefully keep that talent there. You know, the last thing you want is, is good young English jockeys looking to go elsewhere. And if you could put into words the main things that you think have transformed your, your riding career since moving to Australia, what would they be? Um, I think just the different style. Like we obviously, uh, the way the horses are trained, they're sort of on the track. So you learn to ride a lot more to the clock. Um, so you sort of get that clock in your head, learn a, bo- a lot more about pace of the races, um, things like that. And 
yeah, look, I feel like there's a lot of things I've taken from England that have helped me in Australia, especially sort of probably riding over the longer distances. Um, I feel like I've learned, you know, I learned a lot in England and that's helped me in, in those sort of races. But I think, you know, the main thing for me is wherever I go and ride, I want to try and take something away from that place. And like I said, there's, there's a lot of things I've brought to Australia from England and there's probably a lot of things I've learned in Australia since. And you must be quite a resilient person, like you say, to go through all those different roles and to take such a big chance at, at that stage in your career. What do you think your, your strengths are? Uh, just very determined, or probably stubborn. <laughs> no, well, we'll say determined because that sounds good, but um, yeah, just very competitive, very determined. Um, not one to sort of walk away from much. Like, I, I always knew, sort of bottom of my heart, you know, riding is what I wanted to do. And like, even though I did deviate a few times, um, it was I always came back to wanting to race rides so it's yeah something that I've just been very passionate about forever as, far as, as long as I can remember and it wasn't I don't think anything was going to change that and happy valley tomorrow night that's going to be a totally new experience you've walked the track so you've got a little bit of an idea of what it's going to be like um how are you feeling it's it's going to be a, a, a magnificent evening yeah it is um it's very different uh, it's it's tight and yeah it's a unique sort of track but it's good to go and have a walk around today and yes we do have quite a lot of, sort of tight tracks in australia so something that might help but yeah i'll be looking to get as much advice as possible and help have the locals given you any tips uh not uh, a couple of them sort of so far but yeah i'll be i'll be probably bugging a few more of them <laughs> in between now and then fab well it's great to see you here Rachel. Nice thanks so much thanks all right it's tuesday so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at weatherby's their global stallion app and their stallion book you might remember last year i had a most interesting conversation with mark taylor who's one of the taylor family who run taylor made uh, one of the most important breeding operation sales consigners and stallion stations anywhere on the planet and certainly notable for their size and scale it is well worth checking in with TaylorMade again because for the first time one of their stallions not this time has made it into the stallion book but naturally all the stallions are on the global stallion app so welcome in a uh, director of sales travis white uh, travis it's always a, a busy time for you folks at, at TaylorMade. just tell me about uh, how december is is panning out for you guys you know, December for us, it depends on, you know, really which department you're in. You know, on the sales scout, you know, on the sales side of things, they've kind of, you know, went through a, you know, the, the September sale, the October sale, the November sale. So those guys are kind of, you know, it's kind of quiet on, on that side of things. We'll be dis- doing some distributions on sale pre- proceeds here in the next few weeks. And then, but on, our, on, on the other side, the stallion side, we're just kind of ramping back up for, a, you know, for another breeding season. So, um, it's pretty much, you know, how it is. It's just nonstop. There's always something going on. So, um, but yeah, like I said, depending on what, you know, which side of the equation you're on, you know, it's, uh, you know, but for me right now, for our department, it's very busy. It surely is. Um, let's talk a little bit about Not This Time, the horse that makes his appearance in the stallion book for the first time. Uh, a son of Giants Causeway, and I was reflecting the other day how how that is going to increasingly become a rarity to get that close to Giants Causeway through a, through a stallion. How important do you think that is right now? You know, I think it, I mean, you know, obviously Giants Causeway was, you know, one of the best, you know, stallions we've had over here. And, you know, he was just a durable stallion. They're very versatile grass, you know, dirt. They could do it all. Um, and that, to have him come, you know, to be able to kind of carry that on is, it's just, I think, 
you know, for our industry, it's, it's a, just a huge impact and a great plus, you know, for breeders for hopefully for, you know, another, you know, 10, 12 years or so at least. Uh, and how important to Not This Time's career has Up To The Mark been? You know, he was a horse that uh, we sold him as a yearling. I, I was in that courtyard where he sold, and he was just a, you know, beautiful horse and very good looking. Um, you know, and we were, you know, had obviously followed the horse. He was with, you know, we knew that Rapoli and, you know, Jacob West had bought him for Rapoli and that Todd had him. And I remember the July sale of his two-year-old year, you know, um, they were very, you know, he said it was Todd's, you know, Todd's best two-year-old in his barn. They had a couple of setbacks and so forth. But so he was a horse, you know, that, that one of our, our very good clients, Ramspring Farmer bred. So we followed the horse closely and, you know, he won okay, you know, and, you know, in his debut, but then kind of, yeah, he ran just okay the next. But once they got him on the turf, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, he's a yeah. completely different horse. And I really think, and, you know, what he did in the Breeders' Cup, I think, really elevated not only his stock, but I think, but not this time as far as, you know, across the globe, um, you know, whether it's European breeders, Japanese breeders. And we've, we've seen that really the last year or two with a lot of these, these big, um, you know, European outfits um, breeding to, to, to not this time here in the last few years. Which is hardly a surprise, as I said, that proximity to Giants Causeway, that versatility as regards surface. And even though he was a very good dirt horse, uh, throwing horses that are that are turf champions. Just looking at one or two of the other stallions that you've got at the moment, are horses that are very, very fresh in the memory. Dr. Shivel from this year and last. Uh, Nick's Go, the American Horse of the Year in, in 2021. Um, Idle, again, a, a horse that people will remember um pretty recently and, and tacitus likewise it's got a a very young fresh feel to it this roster yeah it really does and you know but these horses are all in kind of those tough you know with the exception of dr shivel they're kind of all in those tough years you know that you know that they're second to their fourth breeding seasons but you know we've got you know good support systems behind them that they've all bred you know plenty of mares to give them a good shot um and they all have the credentials you know if we get, if we get a little bit lucky we could have another hopefully not this time, but it's, you know, and Dr. Shivel for us, he was a good fit for our program. I mean, he's a great one winner at two, great one winner at three, pretty much. I mean, I don't, it's hard not to say, I mean, he, he lost the Breeders' Cup, but he looked like he still won the Breeders' Cup at Sprint huh. um, as a three-year-old. But uh, he's a horse that, you know, we're very excited to get behind and just kind of looking forward to, you know, to getting a, a good full book this year and giving us some another horse in the pipeline so to speak i, I noticed his fee twelve and a half thousand dollars it doesn't seem outlandish for a horse of uh, of his ability you're being quite a- aggressive there just talk me through the thought press bo- process behind that in his first season you know i think you know he, he's a what i've come to know just in the last few years i mean you know some of the, he's, he's a horse that raised primarily out in california um you know and and for us and for our operation we've kind of got to find a niche because we're not able to go you know, to buy the the obvious, you know, the horses that people, you know, can stand for fifty, sixty thousand dollars the first year. So we've got to kind of find a horse that fits our niche and fits our 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 customers. And he just was a horse always on our radar screen. And um, but I think at twelve five, I think he's an exceptional value because you know his speed. Uh, he was he's sound. I mean, he made fifteen starts. He was in the money eleven of fifteen starts multiple great one winners so he's just a very good fit and violence you know obviously the sire forte who's going to stud standing for quite a bit more money and even um volatile who's another son of violence i mean his, his yearling sold extremely well so i think that uh, he'll be a he's a good fit for the first year market in that price range this year and if if by some chance one of these other stallions on the roster 
turned into the next not this time what what would that do for your business the profile of the stallion part of tailor-made and could there be realistic aspirations to then genuinely challenge the the huge behemoth stallion stations you know i don't know if we'll ever get to that point i mean but it's you know it's but i do think that um you know if one of these like you know just for example a horse like tacitus i mean he's a horse that we own with don alberto and judmont and they've you know they've been heavily behind back behind his horse he's got a you know exceptional pedigree just didn't quite get the grade one that um that would you know if, if he had he won a grade one we, we probably would have never gotten the opportunity to stand him so that's kind of the horses that we've got to kind of go after but he's got the pedigree he's bad tapid i mean so he's a, be an obvious horse along with the rest you know nick's go obviously was one of the best race horses we've seen in the last three or four years so they've all got credentials and if they can just kind of that genetic uh switch can can kind of come on for one or two of them it it's yeah and having a big stallion is a is for any farm is a game changer i don't you know it doesn't i don't whether you're spinthrift or colmore or whoever you are i mean if you get a you know an end of mischief and one of those kind of horses that can stand for a lot of money and you know it's a good breeding horse i mean it's just an absolute it just opens up so many much you know so many more opportunities now is not just what you can pay for a, a future stallion prospect but also i think people kind of recognize what you're you know you're, you're doing some things right um and then it just again it's more opportunities with you know more horses going forward all right thanks to all my guests today uh, lydia is back with me and has something for you for when do you fancy uh later on today at lingfield in their 335 it's a six furlong handicap uh 60s chic is the horse um i thought that uh, she ran really well over a longer trip a furlong further last time she won at wolverhampton the time before the switch back to the all weather clearly suits her she's thriving clearly in really good form and she'll be able to handle this drop down in trip in a race that looks like it's got plenty of pace on i think she's well drawn she's got the right run style she stays six furlongs and a furlong further so that'll help her so it's six is chic um and that is in the 335 at Lingfield for jack shannon and charles bishop right i'm off to uh, get another uber to get these trophies sent back to you and um then i'm going to get on a plane to hong kong so i will see you very soon uh, tom will be in charge tomorrow and uh, i will be picking up later in the week uh, bye for now You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.